Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, and welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast, episode 294. We are kicking off the new year with an excellent conversation today with an author I've been a fan of for a very long time now, the sort of happiness mogul herself, Gretchen Rubin, joins me on the podcast today to talk through how we can all get organized for the new year in a way that isn't about perfectionistic performance. It's not about making sure your house is clean so other people don't think poorly of you. It's about how to get organized for your own personal satisfaction and for your own mental well-being and your own internal happiness. I'm excited to share this conversation with you. It was a total honor and pleasure to speak with Gretchen, who I've followed for a very long time. Her earlier books, in particular, The Happiness Project and better than before, were instrumental in the early years of me starting Bossed Up. They really were part of the reason that I pursued this career. And she's kind of running a happiness empire now that I admire from a business standpoint in particular. So I'm excited for you to hear me geek out on this interview with someone I've admired for so long. So a little bit about Gretchen. She is a writer who explores human nature in order to understand how we can make our lives better. She believes that there's no one-size-fits-all solution for becoming happier, healthier, more productive, or more creative, but that when we know ourselves and what works for us, we can change our habits and change our lives. Her best-selling books, The Happiness Project, Happier at Home, Better Than Before, The Four Tendencies, and most recently, Outer Order, Inner Calm, and her award-winning podcast, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, combined with her video courses and her app, Better, she shares all kinds of insights, strategies, stories, and tips that help people understand themselves and create a happier life. Like I said, she's kind of the happiness mogul. (laughs) She's running an empire here in every different direction. It's funny, the New York Times even called her the queen of the self-help memoir, and she would say that her work is self-helpful, not necessarily self-help. I've always admired her scholarly approach to this work as well. She's very much a reader as much as she is a writer. She's a researcher and a scholar as much as she is a podcaster and advice giver. I really admire the rigor she brings to her work, and I'm excited for her to share some of her tips and strategies with all of us today and how we can lead happier lives this year by retaining some sense of control over what comes our way this year by starting at home and really taking control of our own environment and our own space. So Gretchen Rubin, welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast. I am so delighted to have you here. Thank you. I'm so happy to be talking to you. I have to tell you right off the get-go, 
that I've been a, a longtime reader and fan and listener to your fantastic podcast with your sister, Elizabeth Kraft. Yeah. But your book, The Happiness Project, was one of the very first books that got me on the road to starting what is now a decade-long journey of launching Bossed Up. So thank you for the work that you've done. Oh, well, I'm so happy to hear that. That's lovely. Yeah, you made my day. Thank you. I'm holding on to a, a hardcover copy of Better Than Before here, too, which looks like it has been through the ringer. Ah. So I'm really excited to be chatting today primarily about your latest book, Outer Order, Inner Calm. So this is the time of year when I think a lot of us feel especially motivated to get our stuff together, so to speak. New year, new new habits on the horizon, hopefully. Tell me a little bit about how you found yourself writing about outer order as an order creator, having started off really as a happiness scholar. What led you from happiness to outer order? Well, you know, it's funny because I have been writing and talking to people about happiness for such a long time. And one of the things that really kind of surprised me and intrigued me was that I talked to people about happiness, and whenever the subject of order came out, clutter clearing, organizing, yeah, people got really excited. It was like very energizing to them. And I would often say outer order contributes yeah. to inner calm for most people, not for everyone. Uh, like my sister, who you mentioned, mm. she is clutter blind, meaning she doesn't see it, she doesn't care. Mm-hmm. That's my husband. Yeah, there are clutter blind people, but there there are not that many of them. For most people, outer order does contribute to inner calm. And people, so often people would say, oh, I so identify with, with that. That's, I feel exactly the same way. I feel like I cleaned up my closet and I lost 20 pounds. I had somebody say to me, I finally, I cleaned up my fridge and now I know I can switch careers. <laughs> There's just this almost, it's sort of a disproportional benefit that we get from creating out of order. And I, and I think it's when we feel like we get control over the stuff of our life. Yes. We feel like we get control of our life generally. And obviously that's kind of an illusion, <laughs> uh, but it's a helpful illusion. And so I was just very intrigued by this relationship. Yeah. You know, when I would talk to people about what resolutions, what happiness project resolutions would they try? The number one thing that people mentioned, and it's not the most significant thing you could do, but it's the most thing, that, it's the thing people most often mention was make your bed. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, I really want to think about this connection. That is so interesting, and what a what a sort of curious line of reasoning to follow, because I, too, can find myself feeling a bit cynical about it all, like, oh, what a desperate attempt at a sense of control in a year where nothing is in yes. our yes. control, you know? But I like hear you say that it's a helpful illusion. Yeah. Well, let me tell you this, or if you want to get a vicarious buzz, like, because this is my favorite pandemic, outer order, inner calm story. So a friend of mine from college told, she has three adult sons. And they all came home to her giant suburban Philadelphia house, the first safer at home period. Mm. And what was brilliant about my friend is she had the presence of mind to get a dumpster. So she <laughs> rented a dumpster, put it in the, in the driveway and spent the entire time making her big strapping sons run up and down the stairs, emptying out the attic, the basement, the garage, the pantry, the guest <gasps> room, you know, everything that had been accumulating, yeah. you know, 20 years they'd lived there. And by the end of it, she'd cleaned out her whole house. She'd mm -hmm. filled the dumpster and taken three carloads of stuff to Goodwill. That's and perfect. she said she felt great. Not about everything in the world, sure. but about that. Yeah. And there's like, there's a lift that comes from that. My parents- There's a lift. Exactly. Yeah. It's, you feel lighter almost. And you feel lighter. Totally. My parents made the move from my childhood home in suburban Connecticut, just outside of Hartford, 
to Denver, Colorado, here where we all now live, in February, this past February in 2020. And even though everything was crazy and the world was kind of going haywire and it was right on the cusp of our first stay-at-home order here in the States, I think there was such a relief in the year-long run-up to that move, which involved really getting through 30 years of possessions, four kids, six household members in total. You know, it's just a lot. And there's so much more sense of control over your life. So, Well, there's control and there's also, you have more space, you have more elbow room, which of course is more important these days than ever. You can find things more easily. You can clean up more easily. You're not haunted by like all the thing, the projects you haven't finished, the stuff you never used. It just, you get stuff off your shelves and off your conscience yeah. and your life just is easier. Yeah, definitely. My husband says every like less possession you have, there's a little less brain space taken up in your consciousness, right? Yeah. And yeah. I, I've been carless for close to a decade now. And that to me is just a huge choice. Oh, interesting. Of not having to worry about it. I, I bet in New York, that's a little different than living in Denver, D.C., but you know, yeah. not having to worry about a car as a possession that can be so great for you, but also can be so time-consuming and mind-consuming has been a conscious choice. How did we get here, Gretchen? How did the world, how did the world get to this point? And is this just like a upper crust first world problem? Is this late stage capitalism? Why is clutter consuming so much of our of our mind space these days, especially in the collective consciousness around whether it's the home edit or Marie Kondo, I feel like clutter has been a burgeoning problem. And I wonder if that's just a class thing, if it's just like the status of modern consumption culture catching up with us. I think it's actually kind of the less positive consequence of a, of a positive thing, which is that things are cheaper. Mm. When you look historically at how much of an income a person would spend on clothing, it was a very large percentage of, you know, how much money they had to spend. Mm. Whereas now it's become like too cheap in a way, throwaway fashion. And so I think as things become cheaper, it's easier to have more of them. And then you also don't weigh them as much, you know, Mm. because if you're making a major purchase, you really take your time, you think about it. If you're not sure, you don't get it. You don't load up the Christmas tree with a million things. But when things are less expensive, it's easier to just say yes. And I think one of the things that you see is that a lot of times it's easier to hold on to something than to figure out what to do with it. Yeah. And so your mother gives you this fish platter because she doesn't (laughs) want it anymore. And now you've got this fish platter. You don't really want it either. But it's easier just to stick it on a shelf and leave it there than it is to be like, okay, now it's my, you know, Mm -hmm. musical fish platter. Who do I give it to? Where does it go? Mm. Which is one reason that I think if you're trying to clear clutter, a very a way to really set your help set yourself up for success is to identify the people and organizations to whom you would give. Because Ooh. if we can imagine where things go, it's much easier easier to let go of them. Both because we sort of can think of like where they would go, and often right. thinking about how they could do better work in the world. You're like somebody would like this fish bladder. It's perfectly nice. I just don't have a life where I use a fish bladder, but. Somebody could really enjoy it, and I should put it out in the world so that it it can yeah. serve its little purpose under <laughs> the sun. You know that feels good, and it's even more exciting if if like you can find a family that needs a bunch of kitchen stuff, or a recent mm-hmm. college graduate, or somebody who has a new baby. We gave 
so much kitchen play kitchen stuff mm-hmm. to a friend of ours who had like three little kids. And she's like, I now realize that I've been depriving my children of kitchen play for years <laughs> because all they do is wake up in the morning at 5 a.m. and play with all this play kitchen stuff. And I was thrilled because we weren't using it anymore. And it was yeah. taking up all this space. And now these little children are having so much fun with it. It's a poetic kind of thought that each possession in this world has a need, has a purpose. It's very Toy Story, if you think about it. <laughs> it is very Toy Story, but I feel I have kind of that animistic yeah. impulse where I do feel like things, they feel neglected and forgotten and they they want to take their turn. Yeah. They want to be used up. Yeah. Serve their little moral place in this universe. So yes, I I do feel that way. I have to admit it. I do feel that way, and so I don't like having things I don't use because I feel like I kind of hurting their feelings. I have a friend who felt this so strongly that she would rotate her dinner plates because she would be like, "But the ones on the bottom never get a chance." I was like, <laughs> wow. "It's like the people that don't get picked for kickball." You know what I mean? Yeah, that's so cute. I think that's one of the reasons that Marie Kondo caught people's attention is. Marie Kondo is very aware of that. Yeah. She talks about that, about like her s- telling her cell phone thank you and it kind of beat back to her like, Aww. okay, it's been fun <laughs> and then kind of died. Yeah. I was really charmed by that because I, I know that feeling. I love that. It's personification at its best. It is. So let's talk a little bit about imposing order, right? Like I know you've already briefly mentioned the challenging first step of deciding, which I think paralyzes yeah. many of us. But what what do we actually mean by imposing order? We're not just talking about being clean to be Instagram worthy. Like, what does it mean to impose order in our spaces? Well, the thing about imposing order is that it creates an environment where everything feels coherent. It's where you can find things when you've put them away and other people can find them too because mm. there's a system to it. And it's if you're living in a space that's very haphazard, it's very, it's disconcerting and it's also inconvenient. And there's a lot of different ways that you can organize things. Like I remember I'm always trying to force my friends to let me come over and help them clear clutter. And so this one friend of mine very graciously allowed me to come over to his apartment. And this is a guy who loves to travel. But as we were looking, and he had just like a one bedroom apartment in New York City. So he didn't have a, a lot of stuff and a lot of places for things to be. But he had all his travel stuff was just like everywhere. And I'm like, this is such a nuisance. You should have your electrical converters, your passport holder, your mm. your foreign coins and 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 uh, currency that you've collected that you know you want to take when you go back to France or whatever. It should all be together because it makes sense, or find some other logic to it. But just having it randomly on a shelf because that's where you put it when you unpack your suitcase. That's then you just you can never find anything. Then you also end up buying things again because you you know you have a hammer, but who knows where, and it's just easier to run out and buy a Mm -hmm. hammer than it is to go through all the places that it could be hiding. Whereas if you know where the hammer goes, I also think weirdly, it's more fun. I feel like it's much more satisfying for things to have an exact place. Like there's an exact place for the hammer and it's always there. And it's sort of fun to put it away because it's very precise. It's like a surgeon Mm. using a tool. I can't remember exactly what that method is called, but my husband has a workshop. He works in the building trades. And in our garage, he has little like foam liners in the drawers that have little cutouts for his exact hammer to nestle in. It is the most satisfying thing to see when it's all put together. Yes. It's like those games you would play in preschool. No. And then like Julia Child had that for her pots and pans. 
it is, and it's a way, but I think that it's very satisfying to feel that way in your environment where you're not searching for things, things aren't misplaced, you always know where they are. Right. So we're talking functional, not just form. We're saying outer order functionally improves your life, not just let's make it pretty because it's got to be pretty. That's a really interesting point because one thing that I noticed is for some people, it really is important that like all the jars match or all the things are lined up and I are like matching hangers, right? I do not have Mm. matching hangers. And so many people have like, oh my gosh, Gretchen, you should get matching hangers. It'll change your life. And I'm like, Mm. I am an underbuyer. I don't like to buy things. And the idea that I would get rid of a bunch of perfectly good hangers to buy matching hangers. But for some people that really makes their space feel much more pleasant, inviting, coherent. And so I think people are very different in their levels of how much order makes them feel comfortable. And you see this with with couples and sweethearts all the time. Ugh, one yes. person's comfort at, comfortable at one level and thinks the other person is completely bonkers and like over the top <laughs> wanting a higher level. And the other one is like, how can you live like this? Yeah. We've had, I've heard so many conversations on your podcast that basically amount to how to negotiate that. And you're preempting some of my questions I want to skip to on that because one of, I, I remember hearing on the Happier podcast at one point, I don't remember exactly what the example was that you used, but the way it manifested in my household was that I am never going to convince my husband that the way he squeezes toothpaste out of a toothpaste tube is abhorrent and disgusting to me. So instead of trying to persuade him and negotiate with him on this, I'm just going to have my own tube of toothpaste all the time. <laughs> there you go. There you see a lot of times it's just like get yourself out of the yeah. problem. You don't fix somebody, just solve the problem in a different way. Oh, that's so ingenious. Well, I think it was an example inspired by your by your show, but one of the conundrums I always have about this is the gender dynamics. And of course, not all couples are are opposite genders, but in the general scheme of things, if we look at the conversations that are being had in podcasts and books, wherever, about organizing, about outer order, it feels like a lot of women are talking about this and not enough men are getting together and saying, well, how do you keep your kitchen pantry organized? I hear from a lot of men okay. who are very organized and orderly and they're very annoyed, just the way women are annoyed. I mean, I wonder if it's kind of who's entering the conversation. Right. Because I feel like, and and just like the anecdote of my friends, if I was like, who of my friends are neat and who that are married to somebody messy, it doesn't fall all on one side. No. And I, I agree. I think we women, I make a mess a lot. And I know a lot of very messy women. My sister comes to mind. Shout out to Isabel. But yeah, it's sort of like, Are we perpetuating gender imbalances by talking about this in rooms with more women than men in them? Like, how do we, as peddlers of here's how to get your stuff organized, say to women, this is not all on us, right? Like, how do we negotiate the actual work? Well, see, that's a very interesting question. And the way that I handle that in all my work is I don't talk about them. I talk about me. Mm -hmm. I don't talk about what other people should do. I really try to focus on like, what can an individual person do themselves without any cooperation or buy-in from anybody else? What can you do? Every once in a while, I can't resist. And I will talk about something that has to do with what another Mm. person would do. But I really focus on what you can do yourself, what I can do myself, because that's what I can control. And what I often say is for something like outer order, I do it because that's what I want. Right. I don't do it 
because for anybody else, I don't do it because my mother-in-law wants it to be a certain way. I don't do it because other people in my family want it. I do it because I like it that way. And the fact is I do like it that way. And it's funny because that sounds more selfish, but it actually feels better because I'm like, I'm doing this because I like it. I don't like to have things messy. And so I fix, I clean it up. I think the more you sort of feel like, well, I'm doing this because it's what other people expect. That's when you start feeling resentful. But it is, I'm not going to diminish. It's very frustrating when you're not comfortable in an environment that someone else is like contributing to what makes it uncomfortable. Making messy. Yeah, it is hard. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's a really interesting point, though. It takes this cleanliness or order, whatever we want to call it, like as not a performative act of love or labor that is associated with your role as a mother or sister or daughter or whatever, and really says, do it for you or don't do it. (laughs) Or don't do it. Yeah. Or don't do it. And another difference that can come up in this way that can complicate things is abundance lovers and simplicity lovers. This is kind of related to like, do you want your, do your jars have to match or not? So simplicity lovers like bare shelves, empty counters, not that much on the wall, not a lot going on. And abundance lovers love profusion and choice and a lot of buzz and collections. And so sometimes what you get is you get a conflict between somebody who wants simplicity and somebody who wants abundance. And they, the simplicity person will say it feels cluttered because it feels overwhelming to them. Right. But it's not clutter in that everything, my, like my daughter is an abundance lover and I'm a simplicity lover. So everything in her room is exactly where she wants it to be. There's nothing, mm-hmm. it's not haphazard. It's not full of trash or things that she's not interested in. Right. But it's way too much for me. Like I couldn't have that be my bedroom. <laughs> yeah. But that's how she likes it. Well, that's what I think is so great about all of your work is that you you hit on the everyone is different, personalization is everything angle in all of your work. And that that can be helpful in combating this feeling of we're telling anybody, you know, how to live their life. It's more like really assessing and being mindful about your possessions and how they're contributing to your psyche and and organizing them in a way that pleases you, whether you're a abundance person like my mom who thinks that my bare shelves in my kitchen is sad. <laughs> yes. To her, that seems sterile and stripped and maybe anonymous. Yeah. But you know what I also think it does is that it, it kind of makes things le- impersonal and also just a matter of preference because it's not that I'm right, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm not the boss being like, a cluttered desk means a cluttered mind. Everybody needs to clear up their desk. Why? If other people do their work better that way, why should I tell them what to do? Everybody should be able to do their work in their way as long as it's not effective. You know, sometimes we all have to cooperate and collaborate and think about what other people need, but sometimes it's like, you should do whatever works for you. And so I think sometimes when you're like, well, you really like abundance, but I really like simplicity. So given that we have these different preferences, how do we create an environment that we both enjoy rather than you've got too much junk, you should get rid of it, possessions are bad. And me saying, you've got all this, somebody else saying, this is sterile, this is stripped. Mm -hmm. This is why like, you look like you hardly moved in. It's not like one of us has to convince the other. We just have to kind of agree. Well, that's interesting. We see it differently. So how do we get to a place that we both like? Yeah, that's, or avoid the problem altogether somehow with a tube of toothpaste, but yes. Oh, well, here's a great example of that. These people I knew, they were going, like, well, they were the classic case that, that you described. 
he was driving her crazy because he wasn't cleaning. He wouldn't, it wouldn't tidy up. He wouldn't put his, you know, mm. it, none of that wasn't helping. And he was like, but you have these unrealistic standards. We don't mm. have to spend our time this way. It's just, it's a fighting, fighting, fighting. They go to a couples therapy. Like we can't get through this. This is like such a drag on our marriage. <laughs> and then they realized for the same money that they were spending on couples therapy, they could get somebody to come clean their house once a week. I love that. Problem solved. <laughs> solved. Same as your tube of toothpaste. Let's just drop mic yep. and find a different way to get where we need to go. Yeah. We don't need to convince each other. We don't need to change each other. We just need to find a solution. And that may be totally outside of fixing another person. Right. And I think it's from the Happiness Project where you really get clear from the get-go that you cannot control another person's happiness, right? Like it is up to you to say, here's what makes me happy. And here's what we have to do to both be kind of finding our compromise here. I love that. I want to bring us back to choice because decision fatigue is real and making choice around the first stages of imposing order is so difficult, especially I wanted to ask you about where this intersects with mental health. I have a lot of family members who struggle with ADHD And it feels like starting is extremely overwhelming in terms of creating order or imposing order in any area of life. What are those first steps? What do they look like? How do we get to the point of decision instead of analysis paralysis? Well, there's a lot of things that you can do to just have clutter clearing or creating order as just part of an ordinary day. So you don't have to work yourself up to like the six hour basement clean out. One I really like is the one minute rule. And this is anything that you can do in less than a minute you do without delay. So you just do it as you're going through your day. You hang up your coat instead of throwing it over a chair. You put a dish in the dishwasher instead of leaving it on the counter. You print out a document and put it in the file folder instead of just like leaving it in your email. And what this does is it gets rid of that scum of clutter that kind of accumulates on the surface of life. And yet you don't, because you're doing it as you go, it doesn't feel very burdensome and you don't have to kind of like, you don't really have to get started because it's kind of over as soon as you do it. And what's amazing is this is such a small thing to do. And yet over and over people have said, this has completely transformed my environment. Yeah. And I like the idea of it being less intimidating by basically breaking it down. A friend of mine says to me, I know that I could just leave the laundry until Saturday, but I really want my weekends to be about fun, not cleaning and and maintenance. So yes. no matter how exhausted she is at the end of a long, laborious day as a campaign politico and a mom of a young child, she says, I just do the stuff that needs to happen during the week even if it means running a little laundry at 10 o'clock at night on a Friday so that on Saturday I wake up and things are fine and we can focus on fun. Yeah. And, but people do funny things like I'm going to fold laundry during the commercials of this show. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. there's ways or there's this in my book, better than before is all about habit change, how we can make and break our habits. And one Mm -hmm. thing for something like laundry is the strategy of pairing which is when you save yourself something that you really like to do or want to do and you pair it with something that's a bit of a burden. So let's say there's a podcast that she loves. She can only listen to it while she's dealing with laundry or there's a television show that she can only have on while she's dealing with laundry. So like my sister can only watch The Real Housewives, which she's obsessed with, when she's on a treadmill. I love that. And so it gets you, it changes your attitude towards something that you have to do, makes it more pleasant. And Mm. then it says, I feel so burdensome. And then it's easier to keep up with it. Yeah. So it becomes less of a huge mountain to climb once a month and more of a habit. I wanted to ask you how clutter 
or imposing order relates to habits. I know in, you've written a lot about habits, obviously, but also in chapter four of Outer Order, Inner Calm, it's all about cultivating healthy habits. What is that connection all about between outer order and habitual order? Well, because as you... The thing that's freeing and energizing about habits is they just make behavior automatic. I mean, you talked a moment before about decision fatigue. Yeah. It's like every time you make a decision, it just takes something out of you. Whereas if you just do things automatically, they become effortless. You don't have to spend any time thinking about it. You always put your keys in the key bowl. You don't think about it. You don't decide where should I put my keys so that I can find them later and come up with some new exciting solution. You just put them in the same place. And then it's like, you don't even have to think about it. You just automatically do it. And then you always know where they are. And so using habits to create order keeps you from getting to the place where, oh my gosh, I have to spend six hours on a Saturday dealing with this or like, oh, I, I don't want to have my friends over for my book group because I would, would take me so long to get everything ready. It just doesn't feel worth mm. it. And so habits can keep you on top of things as you go, like the one minute rule. Or another thing, um, a lot of times people have like little nagging tasks, mm-hmm. kind of non-recurrent tasks. This might be a trip to the hardware store to get some like weird light bulb or like the doorknob is loose on your home office or, you know, something like that. And then you think, (laughs) well, how do I make a habit of something that's a non-recurrent errand? It's not like I can be in the habit of going to the hardware store every Saturday because I usually don't have to go. So what I I Mm. think works really well is you make a power hour list. So you make a list of all the kind of nagging tasks that are weighing you down. And then just for an hour every weekend, or if you're like your friend and you want your weekends clear, maybe you do it like Monday, mm. Monday evening or something and you tackle them. And what you find is you can get a lot of those kinds of things done in an hour. They often right. loom larger in dread than they do. It's like the stewing is worse than the doing, um, as they say. Yeah. And you just can knock through them. Now, we were talking about how you have to do things for yourself and by yourself. You can't always enlist other people. But I will have to say that many people um, since the book came out have told me that they do this as as a couple. That they'll make, they'll both add things to the list and then Mm. they will sort of say, like as a couple, okay, let's to tackle this now, like divvy up the tasks and try to make it more Mm -hmm. efficient, which I think is a great idea. You can get a lot done in an hour. And also, you know, this is only going to be an hour. If it's like a super hassle to like deal with this toilet problem, to get this handle replaced, if I don't do anything else, at least I've done that. I'll be on the YouTube channel to like follow the rules and, you know, the instructions and you can get a lot done. And then you just make a habit of that. If every week you just have a running list and then you cross those things off. Yeah. I love it. Divide and conquer and enlist kids if you have them too like but make it a family affair well i've got to say my family does not do that they won't they have no interest i've tried all kinds of like clever ways to try to get them like psyched to do this kind of thing and no they don't want to you're at a disadvantage because you do this professionally so no No. it's like the cobbler's kids have no shoes the happiness scholars family doesn't follow by any of her tips and tricks of course but I, I think a lot of people, their family aren't interested in it, you know? And yeah. I think sometimes people are like, well, I can't do it if everybody else doesn't buy in. Um, and I'm like, don't wait for other people to buy in. Yeah. Well, that, talk to me about that with the decision component, because, right, the first step is deciding, what am I going to do with this fish dish that yeah. I don't want, fish but he, he cares that, you know, his grandmother gave it to him. How yes. do you make those decisions if you're waiting on someone else's approval? Well, that is you put your finger on a big source of conflict (laughs) because that is an issue because sometimes people just want to hang on to things much more. You know, they just have that element to their personality. 
And then there are things that are precious to them that are not precious to you. And you're like, I don't understand. You never used the fish dish. You didn't even remember we had the fish dish. But now that I brought it to your attention, it's like you can't live life without the fish dish from your great grandmother. Yeah. And I am not a big, I mean, sometimes people advocate like just getting rid of things. You're like, there's no way they'll notice that it's gone. I'm just going to get rid of it. I'm not a big fan of that because I don't. That feels disrespectful, doesn't it? Exactly. That is exactly. And I think it undermines trust because you never know how somebody might feel. Right. Unless we're talking about a dog or an infant. You know what I mean? Like the infant's not going to miss the book, whatever. Yeah. My dog's not going to care. But yeah. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, they're easy. So, I mean, I've heard of people doing different things. Sometimes people, like if they have a big enough house, like it's sort of like you have your office and I have my office and we'll just put this stuff in your office Mm. and you can do with it what you want. Like, it's not my problem to kind of give somebody their own space, like their own toothpaste tube. Part of it is sort of like the (laughs) trade-off, like, um, well, we have enough room for this. What do you want? What's important to you? I think sometimes it does loosen people's hold. If you can explain to them, well, somebody else could get good use out of it. And so, yeah, I know that that was your grandfather's chair, but we have your grandfather's pocket watch and we have his clock. And so can we get rid of his chair? Because we know this college student that is like, doesn't have anything in his dorm room. This chair would be great. Can we give it to this kid? That can sometimes help. It is very, I mean, there are a lot of emotions bound up with possessions. This idea that you can just wave your hand and get rid of things. It's just, they're very, very, they represent people and places and activities that we love. They represent memories. They represent the passage of time. They represent past identities that sometimes we're very sad about leaving. Like I used to play tennis all the time and I used all those tennis rackets, but now I don't. Or I used to ski, but now I blew out my knee. Or I used to wear power suits to the office, but now I have a different job and I don't wear suits anymore. But wow, I spent a lot of money on those suits and they look great. But why do I have six? I mean, I had a friend where she was holding onto her suits from, I'm not kidding, the 90s, like her Donna Karen power suits. She was like, well, maybe my daughter will want to wear them one day. Hey, all of that's in vogue again now. The 90s are back. I don't know what's happening with Gen Z. Your dusty Donna Karen <laughs> associate in a law firm black. Yeah. That's no, fair. that is not what's, I, you know what I mean? I'm like, this is not some cool vintage. Yeah. 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 I don't think that's coming back. But and, then, and you can't keep everything thinking like, oh, it'll come back. Right. Right. Yeah. I, so I think you have to be respectful of people's, I think you do better clearing clutter when you respect people's emotional attachment to it and acknowledge it rather than just saying, you shouldn't feel this way. We should get rid of it. Right. So validating someone else's relationship to the item. Yes. Yeah. That's interesting. Okay. So it is the new year. Yes. We're ready. Yeah. All my listeners and I, we are ready to take some steps to bring inner calm via outer order what are the first three things you recommend we do to make the most of this time? Okay, well, I'll tell you the thing not to do. Um, the thing, the common thing to do is to be like, just stand in the middle of the house, rub your hands together and say, I need to get organized. And you run out to the container store or Target and you buy a bunch of boxes and hangers that are very quirky and like advanced technology with lots of clips or whatever. Do not do that. You know, you're disappointing all of us office junkies, really, with, the, I, I with our office me, supply I love loves. nothing <laughs> more than office supplies. I feel your pain. But here's the thing. You should get rid of everything. Donate it, toss it, shred it, recycle it. 
get rid of everything that you don't need first, because you may very well find that you don't need something to organize your files because you're like, you know what? I don't even need these files anyway. This is something an underbuyer would say. Yeah. I don't need a three ring binder and a paper punch, an electric (laughs) paper punch so that I can chronologically file all these papers because I don't need these papers. They're all online. Or I've never used these papers in five years. Why do I think I need them now? And if I needed mm-hmm. them, I could just call customer support and ask for ask for my most recent statement. Right. If you get rid of stuff, a lot of times you don't need it. You can just put it on a shelf or, you know, because there's like three things. Right. This is very under buyer of you to say, don't rush out to buy. But yes, fair point. Now, but then, and then when you see what you have, then you can buy just the right thing, like, and do the thing, measure, because you'll get there and you'll be like, oh my gosh, I had no idea about the range Mm. of choices for putting a box on a shelf. And you're like, I have no idea. How deep is that shelf? (laughs) I have no recollection of ever having seen it in my life. How deep is your closet? (laughs) Who knows? Yeah. And so don't get organized, get rid of every, you know, toss, restore, toss, recycle, uh, donate and shred first. And I think a useful question as you're going through your things is to say, do I need it? Do I use it? Do I love it? There are some things that we use all the time, even though we don't really love them. Like I have my, I have a pair of scissors and it's just like a pair of scissors, who cares? I don't love them, but they do their job. Then there's some things that you don't really use, but you do need them. Like if you have very formal evening clothes, or you have long underwear, even though you live in a hot place, surely at some point in the next couple of years, you're going to wish you had long underwear. Like that's the kind of thing that, you know, it's handy because there are times when you'll need a pair of mittens, even though you live in San Diego. But then I think of my aspirational possessions as the ones you're really calling out, right? Like my juicer, that I used once two years ago and my husband recently banished it to the garage because he's like, you've got one year to use this thing again or it's going, it's leaving. Oh, I think that thing's gone already. I think that goes already. Yeah, I know. Well, that was our little... If it's in the garage... eh. It's gone? Okay. I was going to say, settle the argument and it it sounds like you're on team Brad here, which is fair because I haven't juiced anything yet. (laughs) I think things like that where the bread maker, the rice cooker the garden implement. I mean, sometimes we just have things because we sort of defeat the fantasy self or we sort of get up with somebody else is super enthusiastic about it. And you're like, oh, this sounds great. And then you realize, oh, I don't like juice. Yeah. Or whatever. You're going to be, I'm going to be a healthy person who juices more often. And I'm like, no, actually, probably. So if you don't need it, if you don't use it, if you don't love it, make it make a choice to get get. Well, and the thing is, we don't really have this in New York, as far as I know, but I would probably we do. And I just have never looked for it. But there's all kinds of free cycle, all kinds yeah. of neighborhood organizations where people can exchange things and give things. And that's very satisfying because if you feel like, oh, my gosh, somebody really, really needs a juicer and this would be really like saving them a lot of money and a hassle. And I would love to give it to them. And give it to a neighbor, that feels great. And so if you're in a place where there's those things are easy, I have friends where they are constantly, even with COVID, they have a porch or whatever, and they can, again, like this is so foreign to my, my mm. New York City ways, even though I grew up in Kansas City, you know, you can just leave it on the porch, they come pick it up. So it's all very safe. <laughs> yeah. So I think those are some things. To put. Yep. So I heard step one, what not to do, yeah. don't go out and buy a bunch of organizing stuff. Step two, or instead, a real step one is to evaluate what you use, need, and love. And if you don't, to toss, recycle, donate, shred. One more step beyond that. Where would you direct us to go? 
I am a big fan of picking the thing that is annoying you the most. Mm. Is it all the stuff that has grown into a mound on the kitchen counter? Is it your front hall? Is it the coat closet that won't close because there's so much stuff jammed in there? Is it what I have, which is I'm constantly fighting against the pile that always is growing on this like little side table in our bedroom. Most people have a clutter magnet or more than one. And if you can get that cleared up, think areas that are, clear areas tend to stay clear and messy areas tend to get messier. And so if you can really work mm. to keep that thing cleared off, a lot of times that will really lower your, it just kind of increase your, your feeling of comfort in your space by attacking like what the worst eyesore is. Right. And I feel like that one little, w- whether it's little or not, it looms large in your psyche. <laughs> so tackling yes. it makes a big dent yes. in our sort of mental load there. One thing that can help with this is to, to try to like see it through someone else's eyes. So imagine that you're going to have a party or imagine that you're going to have house guests, or imagine that you're going to put your house on the market and the real estate broker was going to come to tell you how much your house was worth. Mm. Try to look at your, or even take pictures of it and look at the pictures because a lot of times clutter looks like you see it differently in pictures. Yeah, That's a way that like things that just kind of fade into the background because you're so used to seeing it. When you see it through someone else's (laughs) eyes, all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, like I have so much stuff on my windowsill. I got to do something about that. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Or invite your um, most critical like relative mm-hmm. over and they'll help mm-hmm. point it out for you. <laughs> Gretchen, I could obviously talk to you about this all day and you have such a happiness empire that you have built with so many resources for my listeners who want more. Uh, or a little more even, where can folks catch up with you and all the great work you're doing? Oh, thank you. Yeah, you mentioned I have a podcast called Happier with Gretchen Rubin, where we talk about how to be happier. Spoiler alert. Mm -hmm. And then on my website, GretchenRubin.com, that's kind of the clearinghouse for stuff about all my books and a lot of free resources that I have, Um, especially around the new year. I have a lot of like things to help people get started with their good habits in the new year. Um, And I also have blog posts. Mm. And I'm on social media everywhere. Um, my handle is just Gretchen Rubin, my name. And I love to hear from people about with their insights and their suggestions or their questions. So um, I love to engage with, with people. Awesome. Gretchen, this has been such a delight. Thanks so much for stopping by Bossed Up and helping us kick off the new year right. Thank you. Thank you. I so enjoyed talking to you. To learn more about all the resources we mentioned in today's conversation, Head to bossedup.org slash episode 294. That's bossedup.org slash episode 294. And now it's time for this week's boss move of the week. I've been celebrating all of your end of year boss move reflections lately in the Courage community on Facebook, which is our free online gathering space to discuss the conversations that are happening here and to keep them flowing amongst ourselves and to really lift as we climb. Brandy wrote uh, in a recent Fierce Friday check-in, quote, I'm proud of myself for learning how to put self-care first. I lost 30 pounds just before COVID hit, and I've kept it off despite COVID. I'm sleeping better more often and have some new things to try to get more consistent good sleep. And whether it's a result of all this or some other odd universe alignment thing, after 15 years of singlehood, I met a wonderful man about seven months ago, and the relationship is going strong. Brandy, I'm so happy for you. Way to share such an exciting and concrete 
boss move for yourself this year. I have to say, obviously, and listen, y'all, I know diet culture wants us all to fixate on the scale more than anything, but what I'm most impressed by, Brandy, is not just your weight loss journey, but how it's impacted your sleep, how it's impacting your life, how it's making you feel better, and that is worth celebrating. Major props on all of this progress in both the wellness and the love and relationships departments this past year. So, so proud of you. You're making me think of my own life tracker for January and how in the life tracker planner, we as a community always set goals that span work, love, wellness, and other, whatever else we're pursuing, whether it's personal finance or travel or your side hustle or whatever. And so we celebrate a lot of boss moves on the pod that have to do with work. But damn, does it feel good to celebrate your success in these personal domains. They matter just as much. So cheers to a new year and to really pursuing self-care with the same rigor that we bring to our professional ambitions. That's inspiring me, Brandy, to do more on the self-care front. And I know you're inspiring others when you share your boss moves too. Now, by the way, as I mentioned, the Life Tracker Planner, I should probably mention, we are just about sold out. We're just down to the last few dozen planners now. If you haven't yet and want to join our year-long accountability community of women who thrive while we strive, who set audacious goals and then break them down into manageable next steps, get your hands on a Life Tracker Planner today at bossedup.org slash Life Tracker Planner. I'll drop that link in today's show notes as well. All right, y'all, I want to hear from you. What did you think about what Gretchen and I spoke about today? What are some tools and tactics you're going to take into your life in the week ahead? And if you've got to focus in one arena of your life, whether it's the toothpaste tube or the clutter that gathers on the coffee table, where are you going to reassert your control and, and really implement order to make your life a little easier? I want to hear from you. Tag me on social media at Emily Aries or at Bossed.org, and let's declutter together as we kickstart this new year on the right foot. Until next time, let's keep Boston in pursuit of our purpose and in living up to the original motto of America's first ever Black Women's Club, let's continue to lift as we climb. <laughs>